1: What's going
2: on, you bad Christian buttholes? Welcome back to the podcast. I tell you what, you're rolling into Thanksgiving, but what would be nice is to go ahead and get ahead and think of your Christmas shopping. So I'm thinking Emory tickets, like Emory Hawthorne Heights tickets. That's that's really pretty a sweet gift if you're a fan of either or both bands, and you are. Uh, you just either you are a current fan that knows it or a future fan that doesn't know it or somebody who previously thought both bands were super shitty but once you see it live you'll change your opinion kind of thing or maybe you've seen us both live and thought we were really shitty but we got way better so even when you see us again you'll become re-engaged as a fan I think we can win you back uh, I'll do everything I can, you know. I'll play the best I can. I'll shake your hand. I'll sign something. I'll take a selfie. You know. I mean, you got to pay for the VIP for the, for all that, but still, I, you know, I'll do. I will do my part. Those tickets are at emorymusic.com. I'm not signing Toby up for anything, but I will do whatever I can for you guys. I tr- trust me. I, I'm. I will. I will spend five or six minutes at the merch table after the show, perhaps. You know. If you th- Maybe you get a set list from me off stage If you're obnoxious and hanging out in the front row You know, that kind of thing I, I think it'll be really sweet But we're going to be in the southeast with Hawthorne Heights In January So go to emorymusic.com Look for those tickets uh, It really will be fun I love going on the road, haven't been in a while And I think it'll be good And our set really is good I'm not making that part up Working hard on playing music as mature adults And knocking out of the park musically We're playing with no-click tracks And it's just this organic... It's just a good rock band playing, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. If you would make it out, if you need to fly from Japan, whatever you do, what you got to do. All right. Well, today's show is sponsored in an official capacity by Quip. I love brushing my teeth with Quip electric toothbrushes, and right now you can get your first refill pack for free when you go to quip.com/badchristian. Today's show is also sponsored by stamps.com. Stop going to the post office. Get a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale by going to. Stamps.com Click on the microphone At the top of the home page And enter our code Our promo code Bad Christian Okay Okay Let's go for it
3: Another Toby Morrell original To start the Bad Christian Podcast Off right my friends You
2: know butthole Is <laughs> a worse word Than asshole It sounds nastier <laughs> you know but all is word than nasty
0: every time I get up on the mic I just want to do everything right I know that I don't all right, right I Reva, mind. turn I'm that crazy
3: down crazy. for us you can listen to the rest of this at the end of the episode you can hear the full song but that's just another song that came out of my head and I had to write it down Matt, I just can't there's something about me that can't stop writing music I'm very much considering myself the mm-hmm. most prolific songwriter in the history of the world what do you think it would take to become the
2: most prolific song because i mean you know there's ditties you could make up i would say there's got to be a minimum threshold of what counts as a professional song which i think the song i just heard probably meets that threshold I, but think it,
3: it's, it criteria, right? <laughs> I think it meets the criteria, right?
2: I think it meets the minimum criteria, but, but maybe barely. But also, in a way, it's got all of your ideas, obviously, have a lot of creativity and potential. Yeah. But you're doing what I think is one of the most efficient ways to write a music, which is to actually purely... Okay, I actually want to talk about this for just a second, because it's, I love this experimental d- development kind of stuff. Yeah. In olden times... Yes. If you were going to hear times. music, right? Uh, see, uh, this will make sense. If you were going to hear music uh, eighty or a hundred or two hundred years ago, you had to be able to play it. In order to be able to play it in a way that was listenable, you would have had to like work really hard at it. So you'd have to like have your background craft of playing the piano or vocal control right. or whatever instrument you had, harp, whatever. You would have had to be really good at it as the background, just to then, if you had an idea, be able to express yourself. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then history, since we got recorded music, has been different. Like It's been different in that way. So there's other ways that people are combining the being able to play with the people that have the ideas. And then we have country songwriters that are divorced from the performers that dance and specialize in all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, women used to just sing in the parlor, like when suitors would come over like all women would have to know how to wear a dress and sing (laughs) or something like you know it used to be music was something you would have to everybody would put time and effort in to be able to just participate in right and then there's the people that were creative that would write those tunes now you've always been one of those now, the beautiful thing about today is people would want to say stuff like anybody can make up this or that or a song or use a loop thing or the auto-tune and all that. Well, that's kind of true, but the hard thing has always been to create new stuff and be vulnerable and put yourself out there and compose a tune that would have legs so that it would stay around. That's right. always been the hard part. Everybody was able to like learn to sing, take piano lessons, sing in their parlor, and some of the people that actually got really good at their craft, like if you're as good as John Coltrane at saxophone, well, whenever you have an idea, you're simply free to express it because you're that good on your instrument. Now, we don't have people that get that level of instrumentally good really anymore. So the fact that you have a simple mastery of these loops and the tools to use it is great because it's unlocking the hardest part, which was the rare part all along, which is the ability to come you know, come up with a new creation that might be catchy or have legs or get repeated or replicated. So that's why I'd see the job of being a prolific songwriter I would not set the threshold according to the tools. I would set the threshold according to the catchiness of the item. Right. So if if it's Obviously, you could put notes and music together and say, I wrote a song. But you didn't if it has no catchy element and no chance of replication or being appreciated. And everything you do, even if you put two minutes into it, is going to have a good chance of being replicated and, or at least replicable and catchy. So in that case, I would say you certainly meet the minimum requirement, but I'd put that in the catchiness Compartment, not how hard it is or how long it takes to compose the music.
3: Yeah, well, I really appreciate you taking something I think is fun and cool and making it as boring as possible. <laughs> like a, 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 how long? How long was it. that Reva seven minute monologue nope, but, about me? How I put loops together? Yeah, <laughs> all you had to say minutes. was you. That's neat. How you find stuff on Logic and put it together a cool way? And we could have moved uh, on, man.
2: <laughs> my God,
3: good lord. What else, what what else can do you can want tell to talk me about? about <laughs>
2: The, the, what do you want to talk about? Somebody who's more genius than you? At uh, let's just go up one level from you. At who's good at making uh, taking loops and bullshit, and then being a creative uh, billionaire genius? There beyond, can only be one person you. who is.
3: It could be more prolific and more talented than me. Right. It has to be Kanye West, right? I mean, he's the yeah, only person. Right. That, that, <laughs> and lucky for him, he knows it. <laughs> yeah. Most right. people don't know how much genius and how rich they are, and how important all that is. And he knows it. And he's going I'm to try to. Talk you up it.
2: to his level because I think you're a Kanye in formation. I mean, think about it. You already have the musical skills. You just don't quite possess the spiritual manipulation
3: skills yet.
2: And I know you've dabbled in it.
3: Over <laughs> no, the years, man, you're not saying you, he's spiritually manipulative.
2: You don't yet have the mastery of manipulating and. You know doing persuasion on a mass level I will to, get there though you know so if you keep working at that I think you that's more Maybe of a skill someday. you need to work on not yeah. the music you know Kanye doesn't work that hard on music it just comes out of him as genius as it is which right. I actually love uh I, I do love the way he makes music I actually love Kanye as an artist and I am certainly wrestling with what to make of uh, what he's doing now and I'm not wrestling with it on the level of is he really a Christian? Is he my hero? Like I, I'm, I, right. I'm dying laughing at Christians trying to figure out how, where to put him, and 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 how to claim yeah. him. That part is just well, what, my favorite. We, why, why don't we play a,
3: a clip and and just see what he's actually saying? So we, maybe we could break that down a little bit. Because I, yeah, I mean, we, yeah. he might, he, maybe he's right. I don't know what he said. I saw where he's at Joel Osteen's church, and he was talking to people. That's his immediately. New I, mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, be- I, I can't believe that it's like, <laughs> like. It's not creative, even. Like it, it's the most thing any Christian that gets saved does. They get saved and they immediately, I will never drink again. I will never have sex outside marriage. Right. Uh, this, this, and this, and I'm going to tell the, I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm so on fire. And I mean, it's like it's the most cliche Christian you could be. Well, immediately, let's play
2: it. But yeah. do you
3: really take it on? Before we play it, do you really take it on that level? Do you think he just happened to get
2: saved, happens to be a cheesy Christian, young in his faith, and happens to just have a big platform, and this is just how it happens to come out?
3: yeah i mean the way he's acting makes me think it it is real because that's exactly what oh yeah i did too and everybody did when they got christian they thought oh now i'm saved by god and i gotta go share the gospel and i have to do all of this and i'm gonna change my life and everything and not even at all seeing that your old life seeps in to the words you're saying the actions you're taking the way you're being like you're still the same person now you just think you're good which is way worse. It is way, it's way way more dangerous of a person. I didn't know I was like that, but I am. I was still just awful Toby, except for now I'm saved. So, you know, I know things that the lost don't. Oh, God, that's just terrible. Okay, so
2: there's three options I'll give you, and we probably have different interpretations okay. then. But one is genuine, baby Christian, Immature, and that's why it's so silly. It's just because anytime anybody gets saved or thinks they get yep. saved or whatever is going on there, that behavior is pretty normal. So he is nailing that, um, which opens the door to the second thing that he has much deeper motivations, reasons, and ambitions. But even he, you know, maybe he's not the the, the clearest right mental space going on, and maybe he totally is acting pure and genuine, and he believes that, although it's other things going on mentally so he has himself convinced so deeply to achieve his larger aims that that's shielded from him or you think that he is you know has a, is ve- is aware that he is in a, a mode of manipulation and persuasion so of those three which uh, which i want to i
3: want to save my answer till after we listen to the clip I'll, okay I'm gonna give i will the save mine the too debt. then benefit of the, da- that the I, doubt that i
2: know the answer to that either i just i can think through each frame
3: All right, there's things and routines that you do every day, and a lot of times you take them for granted. No longer with the Quip toothbrush. I'm telling you, I love this thing. I've been using it now for years. It's my favorite toothbrush I've ever owned, and it actually makes brushing fun and better for me. Uh, Quip is the makers of the Quip electric toothbrush, and they want you to know the one single discovery that matters most for your dental care. And it's simply this, that if you have good habits, you are good. Just have those good habits. Seriously, that means brushing for two minutes twice a day and flossing regularly. And, and no matter what brand you use, Quip makes it that simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, reliable floss, Oh, refillable floss. It's reliable as well. And anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric uh, toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations uh, with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide full and even clean. It's that little reminder. Oh, I've been brushing on this side for quite a while. I can change on over. Uh, the Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked, with a pre-marked string to help you use just enough. And Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping. So your routine is always right. Join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today, starting at $25. What a deal. And if you go to getquip.com slash badchristian right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash badchristian. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash badchristian. Quip, the good habits company.
2: Let's roll some of him and Cholo talking and we'll analyze it.
3: A bit. Two best buds.
0: The, <laughs> <in a> pod. <laughs> the devil stole all the good musicians, all the good artists, all the good designers, all the good business people and said, you got to come over and work for me. And now the trend, the shift is going to, sh- to change. Jesus has won the victory. Yeah
2: okay that's the first little clip there anything
3: on that toby i mean once it's just so cliche the devil did all this stuff but but don't you worry god had a plan the whole time like god allowed every good musician and business person and everybody to you know go to satan that and Mm -hmm. but god had a plan the whole time and it's the setup for it sounds like one one person does change everything the hero (laughs) is about to enter right you know, Jesus like person, a savior type person, to change everything.
2: Yeah, I hear that line as here's a sentence. I mean, first of all, he's already. First of all, he sounds kind of genuinely nervous up there. Do you notice that?
3: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, he
2: seems similar to when he was on stage with George Bush at Katrina. Like, he's a little. Or, yeah, I don't like know if that's just who. He, I mean, I really don't know. That's what's interesting to analyze. But yeah. he seems a little bit nervous. But he's he's. It seems like he's trying to pull off and has studied in possibly just how things like this go. Like, how does he know how to talk exactly that way? I think he's, if he can do all this with music and art, which is, is manipulation on some level of people, the way they receive it and all this stuff, it's just too hard for me not to think that he's not trying to emulate yeah. and study other Methods of persuasion. Well, I mean, there's people, no question like, that's he, what music he, is. that
3: he—he's brilliant. Of course, he's a right. brilliant person, and so he's just using—I mean, his songwriting skills, his narrative and lyrics that he's written, and now he's just changing, swapping out some words and saying Jesus instead. Yeah. You know what I mean, or whatever. So, right, let's, rolling, play, uh, let's play some more.
0: The greatest artist that God has ever exist uh, created is now working for Him. Okay, pause. There you go.
3: Okay, the greatest artist that God has ever created, ever, is now working yes. for Him.
2: Okay, so let me get a shot at. Th- so you take that. Okay, so how does that fit in the filter of just genuine new believer though?
3: I mean, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't even realize it. it's still Kanye. Just because you're saved doesn't mean really much has changed at all. You don't know that. You think you, oh yeah, you're, maybe your eternal salvation has changed. You can argue several things have changed, but the big, the the most truth is you're the exact same person. And as everybody knows, when you get saved, like the farther you get from that save date, you get a l- little bit back to normal, back to normal, realizing you're normal, realizing you're still who you are and all that stuff. I mean, to have that kind of ego to be able to say I'm the greatest artist ever, and I am definitely working for God. Is almost like putting himself on the level with, with some kind of god, right? Like, you know what I mean? I'm the sure. greatest ever at
2: that,
0: right?
3: And but that's and now, a
2: persuasion tactic that's uh, oh, so yeah, understandable. Yeah, sure. It's a Donald that Trump tactic. It's not tactic. likely that he stumbles into that. Is what I'm saying. I mean, I know he's naturally that way anyway. It's all, that's what's already been working for him in a way, and now it's converted yeah. to this. But nonetheless, if you just take those first two clips and analyze them in sequence, I put them in the category of persuasion, <laughs> just like Trump does. And the first thing he does is called pacing. He's, pa- he's yeah. just saying, he's, he comes in there and he says, the, sum of sum of sum, blah, 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 the devil, the right. devil, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of this sentence, you're going to hear, but Jesus something or not, applause break. Right so right, what, right, right. what he's done in yeah, that yeah. moment is set, is go t- exactly to them and speak to them in their normal language and say, I oh, am you, sure. I am what you're used to, I am everything you're used to, and you've been waiting for some, you know, they've all yeah. been waiting for, they're always looking for a hero anyway, this, right. this crowd. And then the next thing he says, well, I know there was something probably in between, once he paces them and earns their trust in that way, then he makes some massive claim right. that they can't help but the momentum is just going to roll right. through, that he's the greatest artist ever is a tag along, and he all still right. credits God for that because God created me and here we go. I'm your hero. Right. I'm your strongman. It's the same as Trump. So it's hard for me not to say that that's, that's, that's a little bit more than just, you know, accidental so far.
0: <laughs> I would like for everybody to be completely silent so I can let God flow through me as I speak <laughs> to you guys today. <laughs> Protecting ah. kids from the indoctrination of the media, the thousands and thousands of images that are fed Two children by the age of six or seven. And within those images, there are images mixed in that we don't know about as parents that are purposely mixed in to lower the kid's superpower and esteem so that they can be more susceptible to consumption and feel that they need to consume and become a part of the robotic numeric system. Numeric.
2: Oh, my God. Okay, so that one's super loaded. yeah, I mean, that, that's all that was the immigration argument of Trump and reskinned. That's right. all that is. That's yeah. we don't want brown people. They come over, some of them are rapists, and then it's going to affect our children and the machine. And, the, and he used a numeri- he's trying to point at Mark of the Beast and all this other stuff, too, that resonates to them. But it's the fear, argue- it's the exact same right. as the immigrant argument. And it's, it it's just it's it's kind
3: of nonsense. It's just hyping up your fan base or your, you know, right.
2: Yeah. That that's not what new believers just automatically do. No, I don't think and, that makes and sense. And another
3: thing that points to this: nobody's really listening. They, Kanye's no. at their church talking to them. No, I, they got to be at church right. today, and Kanye was there, and it was and it didn't That's cost enough. Was, I, now I yep. heard they might have sold tickets to the thing, but I'm not exactly sure. But um, for I don't know if they sold tickets or not. But this is just: I got to go to church, and Kanye was there. He can say whatever yep. he wants. I would have done that I've if I'd have been you. in Houston. I would have gone. That'd have been amazing. I, yeah. I'd love I'll to have too. seen that and have that been there.
2: Yeah, they say it, right. It's just entertainment, and we know how to use oh. it now, so here we go. All right, let's Any play a little bit more. I
3: don't know if I can handle much more. <laughs> I know.
0: So many, so much of the media, because if there's an advertisement for a strip club, that is advertising sex trafficking, because at the end of the night, when they close up, the, the manager says, how much traffic do we have? Oh, no. So I guess he's right about this a, one. Uh, A man that's going through things with his family or going through things at work and he feels he has to go there. We all end up participating, whether it's the spirits that get advertised to us all the time. Alcohol is, they call it a spirit. (laughs) So we get constant advertisement for spirits.
3: Yeah, well, you know. That's pretty far out there at this point, right? To, I mean, uh, er, yeah, everything he's saying is just rehashed, re—I mean, it's just reused. Not creative. It's not artistic. It's—it makes me sad. Like, I, I mean, like it. Okay, sad? how about this? Yeah, what for if he who? for okay, him? Okay, because this is my faith and my Christianity. These are okay. my people. Yeah, of course, it's sad. It, it's unbelievably sad. I can't. I, I mean, I can't get past it. Like, what? What am I supposed to do? Like, if he would have said, "Hey, you know what?" i'm gonna give it all away you know what this money and fame stuff i'm not gonna b- go anywhere near that you won't you won't see me again and i'm getting rid of i'm giving it all away and i'm gonna uh, live like jesus or something then maybe i'd have gone holy crap this is insanity this is wild maybe you know then i would have really questioned what what's going on but this is just some yeah this is a, a marketing tour mm-hmm. right that's what that's what that is
2: yeah, so I mean, I think the I mean, I was at Chili's the other night, and the the I heard the the bartender and the manager talking, and he asked about how much traffic they'd had that night. So I guess they <laughs> they did a lot of sex trafficking down there. At Chili's, Chili's too. Chili's so sex trafficking. He's going to blow the lid off of that. Plus, there's a lot right. of traffic on my street. They had to put in a new red light because all well, the sex trafficking. But that's what I'm it. saying.
3: Some of the stuff he's saying, there's some truth to it for sure. But uh, and you could you could. Well, the could, truth,
2: too, that alcohol is called spirits because it's uh, trying to rival the Holy Spirit? <laughs> right. The truth, or what?
3: No, I know, but but what I'm saying <laughs> is he's saying things that are bad. Uh, drinking too much, he or, you know, abusing your body with alcohol, being an, an addict, uh, sex trafficking in general. All those things are bad. You should stay away from them or whatever, but he's just using them in a... Uh, a global sense of, yeah, these are the bad things. We're the good guys. Let's roll. You know what I mean? You're, I'm with you now. Wait, I don't even know he's saying I'm with you. I think he might be saying y'all are with me now. Oh, I yeah. think that's what it, he's no, saying, yeah, he's right? clear. He's, he, got a,
2: he's got a strong method and a lot of advice and, and a lot of stuff going on. So I'll be very interested to see where it goes. And I will not spend the time to give you my, my far off prediction, which is I put very small stock in, but I want to watch it. And that is that he is not setting himself up to run for president, but he is setting himself up to be the first domino of getting Kardashian saved and ultimately maybe two elections from now or for a Kim Kardashian Christian president. Yeah, I think, I think this, I, is. I at think the, this is part at of the this point. That.
3: Yeah, you talked about that on one of our Daily Dose episodes. But at this point, I, I hate it. I agree with you. I, I mean, I almost want to go to Vegas and bet. Kim Kardashian will be the first female. President. Maybe eight years <laughs> or,
2: or, or twelve from now. Oh well, you I don't know, 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 yeah, maybe as it, a Christian yeah. because atheists don't go. And if you go, and you got, you right. know, if you got a rapper husband that's a Christian, oh, you get saved, and it makes redeemed. the bills, this whole story. And then oh, you can just yeah. go wherever because Trump is a Christian, and now that all he did was pace. <laughs> Trump is a Christian. All he did was right. pace everybody and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I am." I'm, uh, uh, let me say right. Philippians two three or yeah, something, and then nobody. As long as he two does, Corinthians. Their, as long yeah. as he takes care of him from that point, they're never going to scrutinize again. Same with Kanye; he'll move right through this. Yeah. Get he'll be accepted yeah. as a Christian, and then he can abandon it all, and it won't it won't matter. Well, you
3: know, he has been saying he's going to run for president himself, but that you might be right. I don't think. I he mean, is. she is the more viable candidate. Like right. I would have never have thought that, but 100%. they are positioning themselves, and they're phenomenal marketers. I mean, yeah. you could, I mean they're, they're as good as Trump or better. I mean, the Kardashians For have sure. made unbelievable money. And to say, I went from, look at me. I was I, I was lost. I made a sex tape. Here I am before you ready to right. serve, it, it'll, ready to it'll serve my country. Oh, it's God. Unstoppable. Uh, Kim Kardashian crying and Kanye crying, and then they pray together. Was, oh, my Lord. Every Christian will just. But uh, they'll, they'll be they'll,
2: able to move on past it and then be immoral as ever. It won't matter at, in the end just like trump it won't matter once you pace Maybe. and then you lead and then you're like take everybody oh then you can do whatever yeah. yeah yeah then you can do whatever you want later as long as you take the time to who knows set it up now so well anyway pay attention to that story over the next 12
3: it will be the greatest ass ever to be in the presidency <laughs> <laughs> everybody thought Easy. it was donald trump would be the biggest ass ever to be president <laughs> <laughs> No. Nope. Nobody thought it
2: would be possible to have an even bigger ass in the White House know, right, than Donald yeah. Trump, but Move turns over. out it is.
3: <laughs> Move over. A better one. You
2: know, I bet Kanye has all this extra time to be visiting churches and doing this other stuff because he probably cut out those really terrible trips to the post office, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, I think he has stamps.com is what I'm trying to say. So when I talk about stamps.com, I always wonder... Who in the world does still go to the post office, and why would they do that? Stamps.com brings the post office right to you, so there's no need to interrupt your workday to fight traffic, to go to the post office, especially now. You know it's holidays. You know it's going to be busy. You know everybody that doesn't get it is going to be clogging up the lines at the post office, and so you can get everything from the post office, but without having to go to the, I'm going to say it again, post office. Post office isn't bad. It's good, but you can do it from home. And they'll save you time and money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Doesn't matter if it's a small office, sending invoices, or if you're an online seller that ships products out constantly, it is awesome. I've used it for years. You simply use your computer to print official postage for, you know, this is 24 seven, any letter, any package, any class of mail, and you can send it anywhere. So once your mail's ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier when he comes by your place. It's that simple. You get five cents off every first class stamp and up to forty percent off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost. It, not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those uh postage meters that people use sometimes. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money, and it's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use it. So don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead there's no risk. And with our promo code, BADCHRISTIAN, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale with no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BADCHRISTIAN. That's Stamps.com, enter BADCHRISTIAN. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Oh, and I see Sean has just joined us. Okay, so Sean is going to be our guest today, and we'll unmute him in just a second. But uh, Sean is a nuclear expert. He's a guy that's into science and science education. He's got degrees. Uh, yeah, nuclear expert is in, I think, Toby, you Googled him and said looking for nuclear expert, like we had a Hong Kong expert on, a China expert on recently, and that was really fun. Uh, but nuclear is just one of those topics that is is fun. And so we're going to be a little bit more technical with it. Sean has a website and that he does his work on he's the lead writer and the editor at Alberta Nuclear Nucleus. Sean, thanks for joining us and I uh, hope you enjoyed here over here in part of our Kanye Kardashian uh conversation there.
1: <laughs> I can definitely hear you and I am having a hard time imagining anything that you are saying without horror running through my mind. <laughs>
3: Same here. I mean, I mean the, the that's what's so crazy about it, though, is that, the potential for it that it could be real. I mean, even having you on here today is funny. People's perceptions about reality create reality.
1: That they do. You know, that they do.
3: Yeah, I mean, that is what is what's so strange. Like sh- this is Sean Wagner. Uh, Sean, you're kind of our. Uh, we're going to have you on as our, our resident uh, nuclear expert, and uh, we, I wanted to bring you on because so many people have so many preconceived ideas about a nuclear energy that it's like you can't even have a hardly a real conversation with people like you immediately see their face get all crazy and all of that stuff but anyway I, that, it's funny how that that translates into our politics and policies and how all that thing is just the way people believe stuff oh vaping will kill you immediately and everybody stops vaping and i'm not pro vaping even but I, it's just like and then you go, oh, that's not even true. That's not even real. But perception out, it is reality at this point in life.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a crazy thing, and especially everyone's getting so like kind of divided. The, the hyper partisanship, I think, is the new buzzword for it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like everyone's got their team, and everybody else. And if you're not on yes. my team, then. You don't count.
2: So, Sean, the, one of the reasons we – nuclear, I mean, might not seem like an obvious topic for our show, but really I think what our show is about is trying to figure out why people are so driven by – I mean, it's almost like groupthink or tribe or hyper-partisan or whatever, but there's all these issues that – you know, we come from the church world, and it's just like you don't challenge these things because they're put in this place, and anybody who challenges these things is automatically a bad person. And that's the way morality and stuff works in the church and in fundamentalist type of things, it's just to keep people from questioning. And we've always that's always been really uncomfortable and it is for a lot of people who see themselves as free thinkers or outsiders or or whatever it is, but running into that type of authority where you feel bullied into not questioning it is kind of our real territory and nuclear is just such one of those issues where the facts about it and the information about it and the goals about it and what's underlying it is not ever part of what anybody ever discusses. It's just Who's trying to kill who and how scary things are and who's bad people and good people. And that's how we're going to decide our – that's how we're going to decide, our, you know, things about our power grid, I guess. Yeah,
1: I know. And it's just like, okay, but guys, morality doesn't really have anything to do with electricity unless you're, you know, powering (laughs) it with slaves that you've put in giant hamster wheels. All right. Right.
2: But we're immediately talking about nuclear waste and what it does to everybody. That is all we're talking about from now on. You, the electricity part we're going to skip. I'm not saying in real. I'm not saying on this conversation. I'd like to talk about electricity a little bit. Oh yeah, because yeah, it seems it. to matter. But it, most of the time, when you say what you just said there, the rest of the conversation is just going to be you saying having to advocate for how you love nuclear waste in the environment. It will be the rest of the argument
1: from here. Oh yeah, no, I've uh, I've had to deal with that. Uh, I've had to deal with that more than a few times. It's uh, it's one of the, the main go-to uh, anti-nuclear arguments that I've come across. But how did you get to be pro-nuclear
2: in the first place? Because that position, I think, has to be really well understood because a, a lot of people out there are very skeptical and they think, if anybody's pro-nuclear, they must be in the pocket of something or have motivations or they're in the industry or whatever. So you're going to have to explain to us yeah. why would anybody champion such a topic as... Killing everybody on Earth with radiation. Why would you want to do that?
1: Uh, it, no, it's, it's a fair question because uh, I I started being quote-unquote pro-nuclear about 10 years ago. Uh, I was in, in the middle of my bachelor's degree. I'm a, a, I'm a materials engineer by education. So I was – like I took courses on – most of my courses were actually on like nanomaterials and kind of nano – scale phenomenon so we actually had a lot of stuff on things like solar panels and stuff like that learning how they worked and what the kind of underlying physics of them were but uh i ended up watching a, a youtube video that i just found online by a guy named gordon mcdowell uh a lot of people who have become pro-nuclear in the past like 10-15 years can actually trace their change over to pro-nuclear from seeing one of his videos he's very kind of well known in the group but he just he made some videos talking about nuclear and the history of the history of the programs and some of the stuff that most people didn't know like uh, the molten salt reactor experiment in Oak Ridge in the 1960s. just like this kind of off-the-wall nuclear research that people nowadays just don't even know about.
2: I don't know about it tell me about that
1: experiment. All right, so the Molten Salt Reactor Experiment was basically an idea to try and see. It started off with uh, a project from the United States Air Force saying, We want a nuclear powered plane. We want a plane that can stay up for years at a time if need be. And so Uh, you couldn't take what the Navy had done with their nuclear reactors for the Nautilus and other nuclear powered submarines and ships, because it was too heavy. It was too complicated. It had too many cooling requirements and stuff like that. So they needed an entirely different kind of setup. So what they did is they actually, instead of, because what most, uh, what all current uh, reactors do is they have a solid fuel. So you have a solid fuel and you run uh, liquid through it, usually water, to create steam, you use the steam to turn a turbine. It's very heavy, very kind of material intensive. So they needed something significantly lighter if you're going to put it in a plane. So what he, what uh, the molten salt reactor experiment was, was they decided, okay, let's take, let's, instead of having our heat transfer fluid, which is the water and our fuel be two different things. What if we made both of them the same thing? We can cut out a lot of weight there. So they ended up making a liquid fuel, so the, the uranium was completely dissolved into a molten salt, which basically just like table salt, it's a couple hundred. You can get it up to a couple hundred degrees. It flows like water. Really, really good heat conductor. All sorts of really cool properties for it. And they found that there's a natural kind of safety when you're running a liquid fuel. Because if your reactor gets too hot, normally, in a solid fuel normally. Control rods and neutron poisons and all sorts of fun stuff that you need for a reactor nowadays to manage its heat load and if you don't you get things like fukushima or chernobyl where things go out of control however with a liquid fueled reactor if it's just like it's like any other liquid if you get it hot it expands and when it expands everything in the liquid gets farther apart from each other which actually reduces the reaction rate of the nuclear Mm -hmm reactor. so So, that's
2: the whole point of the thing is to get the uranium dense enough that when a neutron hits it, it starts a chain reaction, right? Exactly. Okay. So the chain reaction is broken by the expansion of the liquid itself.
1: Exactly. So it's self-regulating. It gets too hot. It gets less dense. It cools off. It comes back to a proper density and it starts up again and it kind of self-regulates. And then they added a couple more things of just general safety features. So if it got too, too hot, it would actually at the bottom of the tank where the reactor was taking place, there's what's called a freeze plug. It's basically just a pipe with a fan blowing over it to make sure that the salt in the in the reactor pot froze when it was in that in that tube. So if it ever got too hot to melt the plug, the whole reactor would drain out into separate tanks and just solidify there completely safely. hmm. So, why don't those why doesn't that
2: work? Why don't we do Fukushima that way? Uh,
1: unfortunately, you can thank Richard Nixon for that. Because <laughs> back in the 1960s, there were two main uh, projects going on for nuclear power there was the light water reactor, which was based in California, and there was the molten salt reactor, which was based in Tennessee. Now, Nixon was more of a Californian uh, favorable more Californian favorable. So he actually kind of pushed Department of Energy and uh, Atomic Energy Agency funding towards California. So we ended up with the light water reactor becoming the dominant form of nuclear energy in the world right now.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, so before we go any further, I want to do one thing. If you were bored by or didn't understand what we just talked about, you don't get to talk about the harms of radiation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so that might have been a little boring for somebody, or it might have been over their head, so I'm circling back to Toby. Toby, are you with us? Do you have any questions there?
3: Yeah, no I, I, I Sean, you did a great job of explaining that. I don't I never had heard anything about what you're talking about uh and it makes a lot of sense that there are other ways to control something or stop something from happening than that happened in Chernobyl, which everybody watched on Netflix or something. you know what and I mean he- like.
2: And can we do one more basic question? And not sure. to put anybody on the spot, but Toby, do you think you have a basic grip on how a nuclear reactor like Fukushima, or Chernobyl work? Have you seen the anything about it? Did you watch Chernobyl? Even it's fine I, if you didn't. I'm just I'll take to a go.
3: refresher. I mean, I I, did, I, I forget. I, I forget. It's been a month or two since I've seen it, so I just knew it. Kept expanding or something. They couldn't stop it, and it went. Yeah, but how the does? I mean, a,
2: a general power plant is functioning. Well, do you have a basic grip on
3: was how there some kind where of the power the, comes from? So they have to cool off. They use water, right, as a coolant. Yeah, and that somehow stopped, and it got too hot and cracked.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. but fundamentally, you're just doing nuclear fission, which results in heat that heats water that generates steam that turns a turbine that generates electricity just like right, right, right. water falling down. Yeah. A, yeah. Waterfall j- turns a turbine to generate electricity. It's, it's heated water with steam and the uranium, you know, something like that.
3: But, but the actual inter- energy source is steam.
1: Steam uh, you know, turns the turbine. The, yeah, yeah turns that's the, the transfer. That's the transfer.
3: Right. So it transfers from the, the uranium and the uranium is used to heat.
1: Yes. Yeah. You, okay. when, you, when you split a uranium atom in a fission event, then it splits and it the two chunks of it move off really quickly. And at the atomic scale, there's no difference between something moving really quickly and heat. That's basically mm-hmm. what heat is. Ah, the faster an atom moves, the more heat it has.
3: And, and they use uranium because it's the most efficient. It's,
1: yeah, it's the, it's the easiest to get right now. Uh, there's there's other elements you can use, but they're either really rare or we don't quite have the chemistries and the... The physics kind of locked down as much as we do for uranium.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uranium is basically just the legacy fuel that we've been using. So we're really, really well informed about it. So be- still before we get to waste,
2: uh, I, the one objection I found for nuclear that I don't have a good answer for that I would take at this time would be isn't just simply mining uranium you know uh, a, a problem in itself that if we had, if we wanted to go further with nuclear, don't, I mean, there's a limited supply mining. It is crazy or bad. Oh no, no.
1: oh no, this, this is, this is a great question because this is one of like the most fundamentally under misunderstood things about nuclear. And it all kind of comes down to how much energy is actually in nuclear fuel. So say, so say you have like one pound of gasoline. If you had, and you kind of know about how much like energy you can get out of like one pound of gasoline, Mm -hmm. you put it in your car, you can drive for, you know, 10 miles or something like that. If you had one pound of uranium fuel, so not even like pure uranium 235 or something like that, if you had one pound of that, you would have over a million times as much energy as you did in the gasoline gasoline yeah it's like it's so much more energy than anyone could possibly need so the funny the great part about that is if you can have a million times as much energy in the same volume that means you need to mine a million, a million times <laughs> less <Yeah>.
0: material. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> right. But, they, but the people that might make those comparisons may do things like saying, to mine a ton of uranium versus a ton of coal is way worse. Well, yeah, probably. But you don't, you don't need a ton. In fact, I think the stat says an eraser size of uranium has the energy output currently as one ton of coal. Yeah.
1: Something um, like that? Yeah. There's a, actually the, there's a, a fuel pellet which is the standard unit of size. It's about uh, half an inch, two-thirds of an inch long, and about third of an inch wide.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that uranium has the same energy as 400, I think it's 400 kilograms of coal, so about half a ton.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So, yes.
2: But but is there is that a concern, though, mining of uranium, though? You would say no? No, I would say no. Uh,
1: there's actually one of the best mines in the world right now is actually in the province right next to mine, Saskatchewan. Uh, And it's completely underground. Basically, all of the mining is done robotically at a distance. So and the dust is constrained and kept wet so that you don't have any health effects from the people who have to work down underground. So it's not an open pit mine like, uh, say, the Hombach mine in Germany, which is the world's largest coal mine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's all done underground and there's a whole bunch of like really cool work going on into better uranium extracting. There's one that's called solvent extraction where they literally and it's not even really like a solvent. They basically just pump warm water underground because uranium is soluble. So they just pump warm water underground in an area of high uranium concentration and they pump back up a brine that's full of uranium that they can then extract. Mm -hmm. So then uh, from there...
2: The question is, are we even locked to uranium? And is it It would seem possible to me that as we improve the technology, we may be able to extract from other elements and get safer and safer in that way anyway, right?
1: Yes. There's actually – there's another element that's naturally occurring that you can use as fissile fuel, and it's called thorium. And there's about three to four times as much thorium in the world as uranium.
2: But but we had to, you know, get – like – I guess where this is going is even though there are some problems with nuclear it has harms just like it, anything would it seems that the inability to innovate is what is frustrating because m- most of all the problems that I see when I try to look up myths and things that are pr- and problems like I- I'm open minded about this and I've looked at it but they all seem very petty and silly, most of the objections are pretty easy to thwart if you just imagine, if you put any R&D into it, That they all, they all seem uh, overcomable to me
1: Yeah, well one of the problems is that the nuclear industry has basically stagnated for the past like 40 years since mm-hmm. Chernobyl and kind of the late 80s, there's been a real lack of new construction going on so without new construction you don't get the learning required for the industry to actually grow And if you don't have new construction, then there's no reason to invest in research. So all the research that gets done is basically like the base level of first principles research that goes on. So you don't get like the engineering research that you need to kind of improve your plants. Now, that's changing. There's about 50 nuclear reactors worldwide that are being built right now by countries like China and Russia and whatnot. But they're being built. So there is learning going on. It's just not happening in the U.S. or Canada.
3: Okay. It, it kind of seems like to me too, like just having this conversation, it's funny. There has to, it seems like to get energy, there has to be some kind of trade off or, uh, uh, some reaction has to happen no matter what. Like you were saying with oil, you, you still have to light it on fire. There's still exhaust or whatever. Coal, they're talking about clean coal. I don't even know if, if you could go back to coal or, and the idea of like still, Going into the coal mines, mining that and all the problems that cause for the workers, uh, you know, mining that black lung, all those things. It seems like all of that. It it just feels like the nuclear option. It was the 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 accidents that happened just were real big. And so that seems is that what it is like? It's real scary because of that.
1: Yeah, they're 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 all flash the the accidents they're very very public very kind of oh my god this is going on because people are understandably they're afraid of radiation it's invisible you can't see it you can't smell it you can't touch it can't taste it it's just this thing that apparently if a if a bad light shines on you you can get cancer and right. you know what that's that's fair people are worried about that but the thing is is that there hasn't been a really concerted effort in educating people about radiation and how much we actually know about radiation. We've been studying it extremely thoroughly for like 70 years to the point where here's actually a really great uh, metaphor that I've used before. Here's how good we are at detecting radiation right now in uh, Ontario, which is a province in Alberta that has a fair amount of nuclear energy here. There's a mandate for how much Of a specific radioactive isotope can be released into the local water stream, and that's due to the cooling water being partially irradiated. And it's like it's like not it's called nine thousand becquerels, and a becquerel is a measurement of how many radioactive decays per second uh, happen from a specific isotope. So nine thousand becquerels, I think, is the uh, is the amount that's allowed. That equates to it was like 10 parts per quadrillion mm-hmm. so that's like that's like uh what would that be that would be one part per million thousand million million <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's just a staggeringly small number and that's how good we are at detecting radiation wow. because we can detect it at that resolution yeah. exactly yeah.
3: Which is funny too, though people are so scared about radiation and stuff like that. But I mean, even your—I know it's, probably, it's a different radiation, but even your phone gives off res, radiation to an extent, like in a like in a radio wave or something. I read, I don't know, something like that. But yeah, I, it, like the the fear, though I, I do understand the fear. Like you see, you watch the movies, you hear the stories, you know, all of a sudden everybody's fine, then they're throwing up and dying immediately. You know, the 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 most interaction I've had with radiation is put on this big uh thing over my chest so i don't when i get my teeth checked you know like i'm i'm, I'm getting a crown tomorrow and they had to do an x-ray and i was like oh man wh- wh-, you know the lady leaves the room it's th- it seems scary and all that stuff so the fear is is there that the other energy sources is, it doesn't seem to be there but the fear with nuclear energy definitely seems to be there yeah it's the biggest proponent against it
1: yeah it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a catch-22 in the fact that nuclear has been has had to be so much safer than others because people are uh, naturally afraid of something they can't hear, taste, see, touch, smell. So the only way – so they've had to you know, tell people, okay, here's the safety requirements that we have and here's the measures we take to reach this level of safety. And by the way, if you look at a uh, number of deaths per terawatt hour produced as a measure of the safety of an energy source, nuclear is the safest energy source of oh, any far. energy source oh, by, by and yeah it's at i think it's like at least twice as safe as wind which is the next safest one solar yeah. actually is more dangerous than wind because of people who install it on their roofs and fall off their roofs
2: is, is a bigger danger yeah and certainly coal has a lot of effects like that and then people use it both sides but it's jobs but yeah but what? i don't you know is it to protect the jobs of the, or is it being in the bad environment, hurting people is bad, which right. is, I'm not sure. But but the dangers are different in this, because if I, okay, that guy in West Virginia can go get black lung if he wants to make $14 an hour, that's fine. That's his choice. But I don't want that shit coming, radiation wafting my way, like that's t- on my right. children. That's way different, even if it's, you know, yeah. that, that's why that doesn't seem... Like, you, you can die building a skyscraper, that's fine, but I don't want blocks from skyscrapers falling on me in the street while they're building them. And that's the way people perceive the radiation thing. Yeah. And then also, we're not skipping past the actual nuclear waste itself, which is radiation, but it's... I mean, people have a lot of environmental concerns they are not, I'm going to get cancer, too.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we have to talk about those. Yeah. So if we want to move on to, like, radioactive waste... There's uh, like there's a oh man there's a lot of misunderstanding about radioactive waste. Uh, for example, like what do you what do you think of when you think of radioactive waste? Like what's the first image that comes to your head? It's the Simpsons. Everybody, yeah, that's what
3: I think the Simpsons holding the green big <laughs> right. big
1: yellow barrels full of <laughs> like glowing green goo.
2: People think those reactors that are just water cooling with steam coming out is like full of a cauldron of grow, glowing green goo. I mean, that's yeah. what people think.
1: Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, Most radioactive waste, I think the single largest by volume amount of radioactive waste is uh, nitrile gloves. So I don't understand. Like the the gloves you see in hospitals, the ones that nurses use, the Mm -hmm. ones that give you radiation treatments. Those gloves are classified as low level radioactive waste after they've given you your treatment. And they're dealt with as radioactive material in the same category of of uh-huh. danger. Not not the same category. There's there's several different categories of radioactive waste. There's low level radioactive waste mm-hmm. which is, you know, gloves, folders, hospital shrouds, stuff like that. Stuff that is just kind of like exposed to radiation as a day-to-day use in medical imaging and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's not radioactive at all. <laughs> but it has to be treated like that because I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. So, and that's like and that's like 80% of all radioactive waste by volume. It's just a staggering amount. So, and then you've got your intermediate level radioactive waste, which is stuff that has been irradiated in a nuclear reactor or radioactive testing facility. Something that has become radioactive, but wasn't radioactive to start. So that's things like nuclear facility, concrete and steel. And that's that's a big chunk of things. And, but here's the thing is that, we can tell that it's radioactive, and we're, as I said before, we're really, really good at telling what's radioactive. So, But that stuff is all kind of shuffled off and buried in its own specific location, and it doesn't harm anyone because it can't make anything else radioactive. It just decays slowly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you've got your high-level radioactive waste, which is generally spent fuel and kind of uh, refuse from weapons manufacturing and stuff like that. And so that
2: waste that itself that's represented by green goo in, in cartoons is uranium pellets that no longer have the capacity to to you know do their job but they're still uh, you know are decaying and putting off out radiation so we have to take that which i don't know what the volume is exactly but uh it seems like the volume's not that high and then we store it how what do we normally do with it
1: uh right As now Right now what happens is you take the spent fuel rods and you store them on site in a cooling pool for about five to ten years. And that's basically just so that all the really radioactive stuff that's in there can decay away so that it becomes a little safer to handle. Mm -hmm. So once that happens, you pull it out, you dry it off and you put it into what's called a dry cask storage. These are massive, massive concrete barrels. They're concrete and steel reinforced barrels that you need a crane to move and a team of people to seal and open up. But they're they're kind of they're open at the bottom so that you can get air flowing in and they're open at the top. But they're not big enough to actually get anything into. So it's basically just so that you can get air flowing in at the bottom rising up and taking the heat away because the important part of storing nuclear fuel is to manage the heat. Mm-hmm. So you just want to get that heat moving through and just let it, and you just let it decay because when it's in the container, you're talking about a eight to 10 inch thick concrete wall with steel reinforcement between it and anything else in the world. you there are most generating facilities have like a couple of tennis courts, maybe a soccer field, full of these dry cask storage. And people walk around them all the time. There's actually a a couple of pictures on Twitter that are kind of floating around of people, you know, doing the whole tree hugger thing with a dry cask storage.
2: <laughs> Eight inches away from the uranium. <laughs> and they can still measure, like you said, and tell that no radiation or 9,000, whatever the parts per million, you know, you could yeah. test it pretty clearly if they don't leak. I see a stat online now that I just looked up while you're talking says that... The volume of fuel used across the United States for 50 years would cover, as is current, would cover the area the size of a football field with 10 yards deep. Yeah. All of the nuclear waste would be stored there, and then I think people just don't believe that it. it doesn't leak out and go in the water, though. I don't think. Wait, don't it would be
3: that—that's how much waste there
2: would be if if we- if you took all of our nuclear waste for the last 70 years and put it, and you wanted to put it all in one place, and you built something. As big as a football field at 10 yards deep, you could put it all in there, and then you just make sure it doesn't leak, and there ain't no problem. But nobody believes that, nor do they believe we can prevent it from leaking, Yeah, even though we can measure it and show them and... You know, yeah, like and, you said and that's
1: the thing is that people people think that radioactive waste is a liquid and it's not i mean some of it is but that's back from like the 50s and the early 60s when there was a lot of weapons manufacturing going on something like the hanford site which is you know a super fun mm-hmm. site that is just awful to clean up yeah. yeah so there like back then yeah there was a lot of problems with like highly dangerous liquid waste and that's a thing that happened and then we realized hey this is you know super bad let's stop doing this mm-hmm. but yeah all spent fuel now is solid it's a it's basically a ceramic the the nuclear pellets that are about yay big and sorry for everyone who can't actually see me <laughs> holding <laughs> that up I just realized this is an audio recording <laughs> but yeah the those nuclear pellets they're solid they're actually a ceramic so they don't leak they don't they're not water soluble. They just kind of sit there like a lump. So it's not like it's going to get up on its own two little legs and hop out. It's just going to sit there.
3: And and does the how long does it take? Just so I know, does the uranium eventually completely decay or does it is it decay forever?
1: That's that's actually one of the more interesting parts of this is the fact that. And and I have to ask you this. I have to ask you this question to kind of set you up for this. How fuel efficient do you think a nuclear reactor is?
3: Like how much fuel does it consume, you mean? To, yeah, like, to yeah make?
1: Like, how, like how much, how much in the, the lifespan of the fuel in the reactor before it gets taken, between when it gets put in and when it gets taken out, how much of the fuel do you think gets used up? Like, give me a percentage.
3: Oh, I don't know. I, uh, uh, 50%? is it? Uh, uh, what's, what's your... Matt, what's your guess?
2: I'm not sure I understand exactly what I'm asking. You're saying if you put... T- tell me more technically and so, I, I might
1: get it. Say you put say you put like one ton of uranium fuel into a reactor, mm-hmm. and it runs. I think the the average time that uh, a fuel rod stays in a reactor is something like five or seven years. Okay. So in that seven years, how much of that uranium do you think gets used up? That how much so, of that one oh. ton gets used up? You mean oh. so it
2: has decay? So there's no longer uranium because it decays into other particles. Yeah, and I would, so I would only have thought 100% then.
3: I would have said 100%. I see what you mean now, yeah. Well, I, if there's 100%, I, there'd be no waste.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, then, then at least 75%, 50 to 75%, I'll stick 75? with
2: that. Yeah, I think, I like Toby's guess, but I'm, I'm already projecting, that, you know, I don't want to over, overshoot here, but I bet it's a very, very tiny amount that's left. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: no, no, it's, it's not. Oh, it's almost all left. It is almost all left in the United okay. States. The average fuel efficiency of a nuclear reactor is three point five percent. Okay,
2: so it, it only goes down in volume by three and a half percent to get. It, it,
1: it actually goes. It actually goes up in volume because you actually end up when you split a uranium atom, you get two atoms. So you actually have more atoms, even though you have less material, less mm-hmm. uranium there. But yeah, it's three point five percent on average.
2: We're only getting three point five percent efficiency during our nuclear exactly but how's that compare to gasoline or coal i still i'm sorry i'm not calibrated here
1: notice that it does it doesn't really matter because the thing is is that nuclear waste is just all those spent fuel rods mm-hmm. so and you were asking how long something takes for it to become how long it takes to decay away and that's dependent on what's in the fuel what's in the waste because things that are more radioactive they will decay away faster if they have a shorter half-life, they're more radioactive, they de- but they decay away faster. So something with – so you've got, say, uh, iodine. Uh, there's an iodine uh, isotope that usually comes out. Cesium is another big one that people probably heard of from Fukushima Earth, Chernobyl. Uh And they have half-lives of like seven years for the iodine and 32 years for the cesium. Uranium-235, which is our primary kind of source of energy in nuclear, has a half-life of like, I want to say like 700,000 years. (laughs) (laughs) That freaks people out, just big numbers
2: like that, though. Like you mean, seven hundred thousand years from now, people still had to be dealing with your shit, so you could have yeah. nuclear. You know, like. That's but, what but
1: see, here's the, and but here's the thing: the longer a half life is, the less energy it emits in a mm-hmm. given amount of time. So the longer half life materials, like uranium two thirty five, uranium two thirty eight, uranium two thirty eight has a half life of like four billion years. <laughs> 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 like you can you can walk around with a chunk of uranium in your hand or in your pocket for weeks and nothing will happen because the half-life is so long. It emits so little radiation. Mm -hmm. So when people say, when people say, you know, Oh, this is going to be dangerous for 10, a hundred thousand years. It's like, no, no, it'll be dangerous for like a hundred years. And then there'll be almost no radiation there. So, right. And the more you use up in your fuel, the more fuel efficient you are with a nuclear reactor, the more of that rate, the more of your spent fuel is of the shorter half-life material.
2: Okay, now I'm catching back on. So now when we talk about doing more development and increasing technology, we're going to increase that efficiency over time. Just obviously in the engineering is would go that direction. So you increase the efficiency because we don't want to put valuable radiation into a tank and not use it if we could help it. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll try to get it up to 50%, 80%, 100%. And it's not like in the next 700,000 years we won't think of another way to deal with a football field full of waste. I'm sure we can send it to outer space or, or uh, undo 3D print the molecules at some point. I mean we'll be able to deal with it
1: at some point. Exactly. There's, and, and here's the thing. When you actually start getting into those really high efficiencies and you really start producing a lot of, a lot of this kind of short-lived radioactive waste – that, that period that you need to actually monitor your waste shrinks down dramatically. So right now people say, you know, 10,000, 100,000 years. If you got up to, you know, a 97% fuel efficiency in your reactors, which is something that those molten salt reactors that I was talking about earlier, they're kind of championed as being very, very fuel efficient, like 97, 98%. Your, your leftover material, your waste stream is safe within 300 years, which means that it's only really dangerous for like 80 years.
0: Mm-hmm. And once wow.
1: it's, and once it's decayed away like that, you can actually start going into that waste stream and pulling out valuable materials because there are valuable I materials say, in like cesium is valuable in, in itself. Yeah, Not just, not just cesium things like platinum, palladium, mm-hmm. gadolinium, like really, really valuable materials. They come from nuclear waste streams. And you can actually go back into them after they've cooled off a bit and you can extract these like really valuable materials.
3: All right. So let's get down to the a little bit of nuts and bolts. If they so I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, if they said, hey, Charlotte, we want you to build a I, I don't know if there's how many. Do you know how many nuclear plants there are like in America and Canada or
1: in America? I do believe there's 98 currently operating nuclear facilities.
3: Ninety eight, and so if if they wanted to build one in my city, maybe there's one here. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, the how actually say how much does does the plant itself put off radiation? The people that would the jobs that we created, do the people when they are in their sixties all of a sudden have bad cancers and their hair falls out and all that stuff? Like the proximity to a nuclear plant doesn't affect you radioactively?
1: Nope, it does not. The uh, if I remember correctly, the United States regulations state that you can only be the there's very stringent regulations amount for how much radiation you can actually be exposed to. Uh, In the United States, I do believe it's a yearly dose, uh, a yearly maximum dose of what's called 50 millisieverts, which is the standard health measurement for how much radiation uh, a person is exposed to. But you also have a second measurement that you're only allowed to receive a five year cumulative dose of a hundred millisieverts. So if you get a 50 millisievert dose in one year, you like you're on like low, low exposure jobs for the next four years until you can get that down there. And, but, and as far as most science nowadays is concerned, any dose below about a hundred millisieverts a year is not Going to do anything to you. There's a every everyone's heard of you know all radiation is bad. Any radiation will give you a higher chance of cancer, and that's based on uh, an old safety standard from the basically the dawn of the nuclear age called what's called the low the linear no threshold model, which is basically just they they took a chart and they said. On the on the up and down axis, it's your probability of cancer. And on the left and right axis, it's how much radiation you've been exposed to. And they started at zero and they just drew a line straight. (laughs) And (laughs) it's just like this. This is what this is. This is what we're going to assume. And it worked for the first like 40 years because we didn't really know what was going on with radiation. We're just like, okay, we're going to be super, super safe on this. We're going to make sure that as few people as possible have any possible problems. So that was great. But now we're getting into the point where we know a lot more about it. We've studied the health effects for 60-odd years. We've been able to see people who have had very bad exposures, and we've been able to see people who've had very low exposures. And we can kind of figure out, okay, here's what the actual health effects are. So now there's a big push for what's called the threshold model, which is basically anything below about 100 millisieverts a year is it's nothing at all. Oh, totally fine. So, you, you
2: flying on an airplane, they say, you get a lot more ionizing radiation than you would living in the county of a power plant, for instance. Yes.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's actually a, a person on twitter that i saw actually just went to fukushima not that long ago and they brought uh, a measuring a geiger counter basically with them and they mapped out how much radiation they got throughout the entire time they got more radiation from the x-ray machines at the airports than they did at fukushima, at fukushima yeah.
2: wow and, well, and so- is there and, and we've been doing this we have a 90 plants in the united states and we've been doing it for 50 or 60 years and is it the case that there are no links to cancer in the surrounding communities uh
1: there's a big there was a big study along this is actually a, one of the things that nuclear people get talked about a lot and but there's a really cool study set of studies on this uh, it started off with uh, what's called the cake study k uh, capital k lowercase i capital k capital k And it was basically like, okay, let's test to see if people around nuclear facilities are getting more cancer. And they ran the numbers for people in I think it was I think this was in Germany. And they were running the numbers on villages and stuff that were near nuclear facilities. And they noticed that, hey, yeah, there's kind of like an uptick in cancers around here. But all the scientists were just like, yeah, but that's not how physics works. So they did the study again. And they found it again, but they expanded the details. They're just like, okay, let's see why this might be causing it. They looked into more environmental factors and stuff like that. And what they found was, is that most of the nuclear facilities were built on old uh, old uh, properties that contained coal plants. And the upticks in cancers aligned perfectly with environmental contamination from fly ash and coal Things. In the, yeah. Oh, wow. So, and, and that's the thing is they found out, it was just like okay, yeah, they, it was showing that nuclear facilities were, you know, people were having more cancers around nuclear facilities, but that doesn't match up with what we know of physics because we understand radiation very very well. We like here's what our shielding is, here's how much radiation is getting out. We've done the measurements and we compared it against the cancers in the in the local vicinity, and the cancers are way higher than they should be.
2: But living near a coal plant, there is an increase in cancer. Like any coal plant.
1: Oh yeah, like coal is full of just crap. There's mercury. There's cadmium. Here's the funny part is, well, and not it gets in the not, water. Yeah, not treated not, the same. Yeah, not not funny. Ha But you know, funny right. ironic. Uh, you actually get a larger radiation dose living downwind of a coal plant than you do living near a nuclear facility. Wow. I didn't know that. Oh,
3: no way. <laughs>
2: yep,
1: because there's uranium and thorium in coal.
2: So how would you like Chernobyl? Did you like the series? I didn't
1: actually watch it because I don't have HBO.
2: Oh, come on. <laughs> That's got to be a job requirement for you to see that. People got to be
1: talking to you about it all the time. Oh, they are. They are. Yeah, I, as far as I've heard, I actually had uh, a conversation, well, uh, an interaction with one of the writers on Twitter And he was saying, no, like, I'm pro-nuclear on this. We wrote this to really highlight the societal aspects Mm -hmm. of why Chernobyl happened. And from what I've heard of a lot of people, that's what it really did try to showcase. People got caught up in the, oh, look at the radiation. Yes, some of it's dramatized because, you know, it's a drama. But they really did apparently focus a lot on why Chernobyl happened from a societal standpoint, just like you're in the Soviet Union. You can't have any mistakes. And if you have a mistake, you got to hide it because no one can know that nothing isn't going perfectly here because we're competing against capitalism.
2: Well, now we've closed the loop on this whole morality, behavioral, institutional, systemic, fear control thing. This is the other side of that. Even when you do nuclear, if you control people with fear and not real reasons and not uh, honesty and science and what's actually there... I mean, it just gets screwed up on, on both ends. It's like you're afraid to do anything. And then if you're doing it on this end, you, like, like you said, both of those are, are situations where the actual facts and truth are, are intentionally obscured.
1: Yes. And that's, that's not how you can operate uh, a society that has access to as much energy as a nuclear society would do. Mm-hmm. Like, you, when you have – more energy is always dangerous. Energy is the difference between a bow and arrow and a Remington. Like Mm -hmm. the the more energy you have at your disposal, the more dangerous everything is. Uh, one One of my metaphors that I like to use is that nuclear energy is like a stove. When you're a kid, a stove is really, really dangerous. You can burn yourself. You can light the house on fire. But you have to learn how to do it. Otherwise, you're stuck eating, you know, tv dinners in the microwave for the rest of your life but when you do learn how to use a stove you start making really good things you can start getting good at cooking you can start making things that are enjoyable to eat you can start having you know social dinner parties and bringing people over you're not going to do that if you just got a microwave and you know a plastic fork i'm thinking
2: of it as like a society that finally gets fire and they can start cooking but they burn down a couple houses so enough of that let's get rid of fire
1: Yeah.
3: Have we learned from our mistakes, though? Like that that idea of seeing a a documentary or or movies, TV show series on on Chernobyl or something like that is that danger still exists? Like, have have we as technology improved enough to where those accidents aren't going to happen? I mean, that's the thing. Everybody goes, yeah, well, nuclear power, but it did happen fukushima chernobyl Mm -hmm. these bad ones you know all these things are like you know the way we did our waste back in the day like have we improved enough to make it even that those won't happen again
1: i can definitely say that what happened at fukushima and chernobyl won't happen again because those were both one-off things the thing that happened with chernobyl was based on the design of the reactor itself because the chernobyl style reactor was actually meant to produce weapons material that's what it was for the energy that it produced was basically a nice bonus for it. But that's what happens when you try and make something that's designed to do one thing, try and do another, you get problems that show up. And the thing would happen with Fukushima, every safety regulation. And this is really depressing, but every safety regulation ever written is written in someone's blood. So mm. we, we always learn from things and, and, We had already technically learned from Fukushima before Fukushima happened because a lot of the other reactors that were in Japan and near Fukushima, they were fine. In fact, several reactors, including uh, Okinawa, uh, they were closer to the epicenter of the tsunami and they were fine. They actually sheltered people in those reactors when the uh, tsunami hit. The, the problem with Fukushima was just some some poor decision-making. So with that, you learn the poor decision-making, and it's just like, okay, this is what changes. This is how we do things. And now we get into this part of things like the molten salt reactors and other what are called Gen 4 reactors, which are designed to be safe using the laws of physics rather than operator oversight and technical expertise. They they're the response to the there were the response to what people have championed as the big problems of nuclear they're supposed to be safer because as we said with the molten salt reactor they're self-regulating they have automatic uh cooling and drainage systems that work even if no one's in the reactor it's even if no one's in the facility itself they will automatically do these things and they have higher fuel efficiencies so you can use more of your material and have less waste so you can cut that uh, off at the cut that argument out from under itself so that's what the gen 4 reactors are and i'm really really excited to see some of them coming into play in the near future
2: so is this a battle between is it a battle where the nuclear crowd is fighting the renewables crowd and by the way how is nuclear not a renewable <sighs>
1: Yeah that's uh, that second part right there is a question that we've been asking, asking ourselves for quite a while. There's a lot of groups that are working on trying to get nuclear included into renewables funding regimens. Uh, there's a group in the in the European Union called uh, Energy for Humanity. and they actually just got a really big victory. And that the European Union is going to be allowing nuclear energy to be funded as clean energy groups, so that was like a big thing for them, and that just happened like a couple of weeks ago
2: because it is clean energy and it is renewable because all you need is nu oh i 'm sorry i 've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time it 's nuclear energy yeah. that yeah. comes from the nucleus of atoms, and there 's lots of nucleuses out there yes so i don 't i think
1: it 's renewable <laughs> it's it it's it might not be it might not be renewable but it's effectively inexhaustible uh a couple of, me and a couple of people have run some numbers to be like okay like how much energy do we have at our consumption rates and projections and stuff like that uh if we can if we could utilize all of the uranium that is accessible on the planet right now and beyond uranium eventually and beyond uranium eventually like just what we have in storage right now from our spent fuel could run society for about a thousand years mm-hmm. if we had full burn up, if we had full efficiency on it. And then all the stuff we have in the mines that we know of right now, that could run all society for another about like five thousand years.
2: And we'll probably wrangle some asteroids too, but in that in that
1: thousand-year window, right? <laughs> oh like there's so much uranium out there. The total amount of uranium on the planet would run human society for about i think the i think the numbers are about 10 million years <laughs> if wow. we haven't if we haven't figured something else out by then <laughs> We're doing something horribly
2: wrong. <laughs> That's all right. We will still be on our Manhattan Project-style things. Is there any link here to weaponry, though? Nuclear technology maybe almost has wiped us out as a species. That's reasonable to say. I, I mean, in my opinion, the biggest existential threat that we have right now is something like crazy authoritative, authoritative dictators and nuclear stuff. And then once we get that technology accessible to school shooter types. I don't know that we make it anyway. So I do think, I I don't know. I mean, so that's kind of where I'm at with the dangers there, but that has nothing to do with the power plants and reactors, of course. But, you know, I'll concede that.
1: Yeah. No, um, like back in the 60s, there was definitely a correlation. People got nuclear because they wanted nuclear weapons. That was just, that was how things operated. Everyone was in a race for it. However, things have really kind of relaxed since then. There's... I think 13 or so somewhere around there, uh, nuclear weapons holding States right now, there's over 40 nu- nuclear powered uh, States in the world right now. So the, the kind of link between nuclear power and nuclear weapons, it's diverged drastically over the last 30 or 40 years because people have been like, Hey, I like all this energy. Don't really like the bombs. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing if you want to reduce the number of nuclear weapons in the world, the best way to do that is to champion nuclear energy because you can take the material from nuclear bombs and you can just throw it into the reactor. Use it. <laughs> that's fire the way to get it, yeah. rid of
3: the bombs. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea.
1: It was, it was a project in the United States. There was an agreement between the United States and Russia for drawing down Russia's nuclear capability. The United States bought the uranium from Russian nuclear weapons, and they turned it into nuclear fuel. It was called the Megatons to Megawatts Project. Oh, that's awesome. Is there anything to worry about Iran
2: doing their, you know, I always hear Iran and uranium in the same sentence. I don't know what they're talking about mostly,
1: though. The thing thing is, is that nuclear weapons are, they're difficult to make, but they're not that complicated. If you really want to have a nuclear weapon, no one can really stop you and getting a civilian nuclear project going in your country is actually the worst way right now to hide a nuclear weapons program. Because if you get a nuclear civilian nuclear project in your country, you automatically get UN inspectors coming in. They're just like, here's how we're doing this. We come in, we check and we make sure if you wanted to hide a nuclear weapons project you would do it by not having a civilian nuclear project at all because the way that you make a nuclear weapon is you enrich uranium you take natural uranium ore and you enrich it to the point because right now natural uranium ore is 0.7 percent uranium 235 and 99.3 percent uranium 238 so what you do is you do what you do a centrifuge you Take all the uranium 235 and 238. You turn it into a gas and you chemically. So it's just kind of floating around and you spin it really, really fast, like Mm
3: -hmm.
1: 100,000 RPM fast. And basically what that does is all the heavy stuff moves to the outside and the light stuff moves to the inside. And so the light stuff, which is the uranium 235 dominant stuff, it gets shuffled off in one direction where you can grab it and use it and turn it into nuclear weapons and the uranium 238 just gets pulled off somewhere else and tossed out the window and that and that's the thing you don't need a nuclear reactor to make weapons i
2: see yeah it's not the reactor it's just having that and then the rest is just the mechanism of the bomb
1: or whatever yeah it's it's just if you want if you want nuclear if a state wants nuclear weapons they can get them Mm -hmm. now there's a bunch of other methods that the international community uses to monitor for people that are doing something like that. they monitor shipments of you know uranium bearing ores and stuff like that and there's all sorts of really cool satellite uh, hyperspectral imaging stuff that you can do that is like super super cool. but suffice to say it's very, very difficult to hide a nuclear weapons program because you need an absolute ass load of energy to do it. <laughs>
3: Like I couldn't just get some uranium, I guess. Like if I wanted some, I I, I just can't get it.
1: No, no, because to make a, to make a bomb, you need a very very high enrichment level. Remember, I said uranium two thirty five, uranium yeah. two thirty eight, point seven percent to ninety nine point three percent. To get a bomb, you need to get ninety five percent uranium two thirty five. <laughs> like but, it's. Uh, it's a, it's a it's so much energy. It and and that's what well, that's one of the things that international communities look for. They look for places in a country that is suddenly using just right staggering amounts of energy. It's just like that doesn't make sense.
3: All right, yeah. I have one last question uh, cuz I just typed it in on Google like is nuclear bad and it came up. <laughs> it you know, it, it several things came up, this came from uh, greenamerica.org and it says the problem is that you would need like almost 15,000 plants in order to run the world. There's like 444 nuclear plants now. You would need, you know, uh, 10 yeah. times that. And they say there's not enough space to do that, enough water, uh, places located near water to keep it cool and all this stuff. So is it even possible to go that, to go mostly nuclear energy?
2: Oh, did yeah. anybody even say that? We have to? Like, can't we just do other stuff too? Oh, sure' like That's, sure. Why, I'm, that's but, why I asked
1: about that battle right. question.
2: Is it one or the other like can't you just do some?:
1: Yeah, no, like, uh, some, some people are, will advocate for 100 percent nuclear, but they're just as kind of, they're just as kind of tribally motivated as people who advocate for 100 percent renewables. They're just like, "This is my team. I'm going to go with this." It's like, no, that's, that's not how the world works. You, you find the best solution for everything because everything right. has its own little niche and some things that it's better at. But as for, like, how much nuclear you can actually build, you can totally build that. There's there's a nuclear plant in the middle of the New Mexico desert, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's with our current
2: technology, right. as yeah. if it, was, and it right. which has been delayed, unbelievable, because of regulation and fear. So it's not like, I mean... Like, yeah,
1: we, we put a nuclear facility in the middle of the New Mexico desert with technology that's 40 years old. Right. I'm pretty sure we can do this. There's... <laughs> And, and the thing is, the reason, the reason that we use water for nuclear facilities right now is because water is cheap. It is cheap, and it's everywhere. So that's why we use it. But you don't need to. You, use water is, else to cool exactly. you can use to cool it or Exactly. You can use air. You just need a lot more air than you need water because the heat transfer is lower. So you just need a bigger radiator and more force convection. Like, it's possible to do this all without water. You just have a big, like, radiator farm out there. Right. Well, so, I hope this yeah. is
2: helpful to everybody just to think through it and not boring. But if it's boring, again, then I think that, that you should complain less if you find it <laughs> too technical. Because you're, I would hope that your criticisms or your pushback would be technical and not fear-based. Toby just said, is nuclear bad? And I think a better way to, to, to Google that is, are new powerful things scary is more of the question, yeah. I think, yeah. that, that you're asking. Yeah.
1: And, and that's the thing is, like, even if there's there's so much information about nuclear out there. And the problem is, is that most people, they don't know enough about nuclear to even know what questions to ask. So they ask, like, the really broad questions and they get the really broad answers. And it doesn't really kind of help to inform as much as they could. I'm, I'm working on a project right now where I'm collecting uh, as many anti-nuclear arguments as I can and I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to go uh, a point for point. Like, have you ever gotten into a point for point argument? Someone's just like, you say one fact, and then the other person says a fact back at you, up, and yeah. and oh, yeah. nothing actually happens. All right. So what you want to do there is you want to take all these arguments and you want to like dive into the subtext of them. You don't want to like look at the overarching themes. You want to like look underneath the argument and see why is someone making this argument.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's you know. difference between the question of you know of saying nuclear is too expensive and saying renewables are cheaper than nuclear like there's those are two different arguments because they have different subtext so what you want to do is you want to look into the subtext of things and kind of put yourself into the other person's shoes and say okay why are they saying this one what's the underlying reason for this and then when you know what that is you can come at them from that same subtext you can put that into your arguments and instead of butting heads with them you can kind of walk along with them and kind of talk with and push along that same direction that they're going and expose them to the information that makes the most sense to the values that they're talking about
3: well sean we really appreciate you being on here where can people find out more uh about you or more about
1: nuclear if they're curious Perfect. Uh, If you want to visit my website, it's www.AlbertaNuclearNucleus.ca. You can find me on Twitter, at Alberta Nuclear. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, Alberta Nuclear Nucleus. Uh, I also have an Instagram, Alberta underscore nuclear. Uh, But if you want to know more about nuclear in general, there's a huge number of sites. There's Scientists for Accurate Radiation Information. There's... The American Nuclear Society there's the Canadian Nuclear Association, there's the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, there's the International Atomic Energy Agency there's like if you if you look for if you look for groups that actually are based in atomic energy, you'll find lots of information.
2: Oh I'm sorry Sean I have one more question before you go is there is the is resistance to this? In the sphere of just information and human tendencies, or is there a, is there a nefarious or some other like force here that is, you know, to, to, it, I don't want to look at it on that level. I'd like to engage this on an informational and engineering level, and that's largely how I take you. But are there larger forces here that are really at play that are not informational there's, purely or good natured or in good faith, you know?
1: There's, there's a lot of, there's, there's, it's a mixture. There's a lot of people who are just, they're worried. And so they look to people who give them information that kind of, you know, uh, either assuages or compounds their fears because people like to know that when they think that something is scary, that it is scary. And it's, it's the same thing. They stick to the group think and they, and they feel safe in the group of people that thinks like are scared. They feel safe in the, being in a group of everybody being scared. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's so scary. there, there are, there are groups of people that are, how do I say this without getting sued? <laughs> there are groups of people that are anti-nuclear for the purpose of being anti-nuclear, um, and I would say that they're pretty easy to spot if you if you if you look for people that are anti-nuclear for the purpose of being anti-nuclear, you can find them pretty easily. They're very loud and they're very public. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to look for people who are anti-nuclear for other reasons, they're usually a lot quieter and they question and they, what about this? What about that? Yeah,
2: they're reasonable.
1: Yeah, sometimes. But <laughs> I see.
2: Well, I think you know. In the end, I hope that this talk of us doing is first of all not boring or overly technical, but in that in that vein, I hope it doesn't come across as antagonistic, and I hope that this issue does not become more hyper-partisan because it's kind of an important one. It'd be nice if people could engage it on the technical level I, yeah. and and stated outcomes and objectives and acceptable levels of saying. Keep the conversation Yeah, out. this is I, I exactly
3: what I wanted to hear. My last question, percentage chance uh, a nuclear plant ends up near me and an insect bites me and I get a superpower.
1: Sadly, zero. I want to be... Damn it, Sean! <laughs> The one thing I only, that's the only thing I cared about. Uh, let's, face, let's face it. Did you, did you really want to be horsefly man or mosquito man?
3: <laughs> right. Mosquito man in the South for sure. That's what I would end up
1: being.
3: <laughs> yeah. Sean, we really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with us today, man.
1: Thanks for having me on. It was great chatting with you guys.
2: All right. So I thought that was awesome. I don't, I, I'm insecure that it was indulgent technically in a way that I liked that my, I could tell you kept people's. saying
3: boring, but I thought it was just so fascinating. Okay, I was loving it. I was just, I mean, I don't know anything and I was just completely captivated because I just thought, I just think it's so neat. Part of the thing is the perception of it's, it's bad. Cause I have had that my, oh nuclear uh, nuclear bomb uh, n- a nuclear explosion nuclear radiation everybody dies is it, it live near that you know th- they say don't even live near the you know in the neighborhoods there was a house that Jess and I looked at in uh, Charlotte and it just it was one of those uh, electricity. It was yeah, just don't the power line that. thing. I it, agree. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? There's
2: plenty of evidence that you shouldn't live near that.
3: Right. That's what I'm saying. Not so,
2: the case with the nuclear plant. I know, but <laughs> how all. can how
3: can you just not think that nuclear's worse? <laughs> I know, I know. And that's, that's what, what I'm saying, saying. like even in our culture with it. the Simpsons and all of that, it, yeah. it, it just feels so much scarier like yeah it feels like electricity i know electricians <laughs> they ain't all uh, super smart if you know what i mean they're great people bless their hearts but they're not much smarter than me but when you say nuclear energy i think you gotta have a lot of smart people r- that really work at every single one you can't have homer simpson Working at it, you know what I mean. Well, yeah,
2: it, but but I mean, you know, Edison and Tesla are, are invented. They were smart. They did the electricity, and now we have dumb electricians doing it. It's fine.
3: I know you're right. It, I it, I agree. But I'm just saying, it's fine. I understand the fear. The fear is is there, but I mean, I I am totally on board, and. This is just. Uh, this starts
2: with brilliant people in high. The biggest thing, thing about it, though, is that it's the progression.
3: It like we're just at nuclear now, or will be more, and then eventually there'll be another one. Like that's the thing that I keep. I, I've sure. been reading a little bit here and there, like like the batteries haven't really improved. Like they last a little bit longer now, stuff like. But the actual con, there not hadn't, hadn't been really new a breakthrough in storing power, mm-hmm. like a battery. You know what I mean? So that's why you know you, the, the way the cars are, they're getting longer, and but that's about it. It's just increasing the length. It's not really. Much more efficient. They find what, you know, change from whatever they were using to lithium or whatever. But I mean, all of this stuff has a cost. So at some point, somebody probably will figure out a new way to do a battery and it'll last unbelievably long. And you yeah, won't ever tons. use fossil fuel and we'll again, use
2: whatever's but. best, cheapest, and safest. Oh, right. It accomplishes our goals, correct? Can right. we make that agreement? And then we can argue about, I mean, sure, there's good arguments. And I am 100% sure that. I come into this thing with my normal energy, and my energy is not even – I like the technical. That's what frustrates me about it is the people that that like to push back. They like to jump past the technical and just do this moral bullshit, and it makes me insane. So I realize that I come to this with some resistant energy, and certainly confirmation bias on my train. Right. no doubt about it but it's because it's just due to the amount of ty- this type of pushback for this type of reason i find all over the place unrelated to nuclear this is just the way i'm i look at at, at things yeah. and so i'm sure i'm wrong about a lot and there i'm sure there are more dangers and considerations in light of that conversation now that i've put out there my opinion and, and hear that from him and just know what i know about nuclear in a general way yeah. I would invite people to show me additionally, like if you think I'm dishonest or a shill or or something, I don't know, or just an idiot, fine. But if you think, oh, but Matt, a further nuanced thing that's counter to your point, please, I'm not opposed to that. Like, I don't want to not hear that. Let's do it. Right. But I don't think the intent should be to prove, you know, we're not trying to prove anything. We're trying to learn stuff. So I'm happy to learn more stuff, but I don't want to learn it from these these activist groups that their arguments are bullshit. Like I know what that is. That's all.
3: But, and that's, that's the problem. The big, the biggest problem I see with all of this is I, I, I'm not really a conspiracy theorist, but I do think like big oil probably doesn't want nuclear to happen or, or, other forms you know like i just got, I, I get this email from this organization Oh, sure or that's called, what's going on called Subsidies fee and it says like a lobby um there's an uh, there's an article about how bad actual uh solar panels are their production everything is creating unbelievable amounts of waste like solar the title of the article from fee uh org is solar panels produce tons of toxic waste literally and sure. it, and, and what i'm saying is you can't it's like we can't have a real conversation about nuclear or solar panels. Like maybe solar panels are great, but there might be a real consequence as well. It's not just, oh, that's green.
0: Yay. Yeah, you no, know, I know, I know. There's right. good yeah. green
3: and the bad nuclear green. Like, hold on, but let's just have the real conversation and then I can at least learn something. Some dummy like me can maybe learn something and go, okay, I can make an informed decision now. I'm not ever going to be a nuclear scientist, obviously, but I would like to just have a little bit more information before I just go, yeah, put a bunch of solar panels on my roof. What if that shit's bad? Nobody, no, not, I've never heard one person go putting solar panels on your roof is a bad thing. Could be, it might not be at all, but what if there's something there? What, uh, what, what, what are the things that go into making uh, a solar panel? I have no clue. Right. i have it's zero like clue saying, what if
2: recycling had negative impacts not gonna hear it you oh, idiot right. like it's just we're not gonna i'm not saying solar panels or i don't know uh, you know plenty to learn that's but but you got to do the learning part and the understanding part so that you can make your choices part and be afraid of what you should be in the appropriate amount is just kind of <laughs> really my territory uh right. and i i think overall the energy thing is a crazy conversation and i pretty sure that if you want to get real information about it, it's not re- what I'm saying is understanding how it works is the only protection you have because other than that it is is on the level of power and money and greed and conspiracy and yeah. lobby and subsidy and foreign affairs and arms race with China, like those things yeah, I'm. I'm not, I don't know anything about those things, so if there's some other conspiratorial subsidy thing going on then I mean it's kind of I don't know about that. But I can try to understand the technology itself.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, let's get out of here. But I will say this. I do know after this conversation what Sean's favorite food is. Do you know?
2: Plutonium pizza.
3: Fission chips. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We out of here. up in my headphone. You know butthole
0: is a worse word than asshole. It sounds nastier know butthole is a worse word than asshole it sounds nastier every time i get up on the mic i just want to do everything seem right i know that i don't want to fight but butthole's a nastier word i'm right let me tell you asshole's clean everybody knows it, what i mean i just just need to get it on
3: my chest i know that i'm the very best asshole not butthole asshole not butthole butthole is sick as shit
0: asshole. Not butthole. Not butthole. Not butthole. Not butthole. butthole. No, no. Not butthole.